Father God, in this room right now, there are, there are many chains that need to be broken. Chains that, that bind, chains of sin, chains of addiction, chains of regret, chains of shame, chains of conflict, all kinds of things binding people up today, Lord God. And we now come to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. We come to preach the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, would you come in power now as the word that you wrote through your servants is now presented. Come now, Lord Jesus. Say that name with me, Jesus. Say the name. Ask Jesus, say, Jesus, come. Jesus, let us free. Thank you, Jesus. We, we trust in that. We count on that now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, go ahead and be seated. When we were singing earlier, um, I will sing no other name than the name of Jesus. And as I sang that, I was thinking about how the world, I don't know about you, the world constantly seems to be tempting me to sing another name that would be my hope. A song that would say something about myself or something that I want. A, a song that doesn't honor God. A song that, that would somehow maybe drive me forward. But th there is no other name that can save than the name of Jesus. And we need to have a clear vision of what that means and what that looks like for us. And so as we begin this series today, I want to encourage you to be mindful of, of the importance of having a vision for your life and to map out that vision so that you are confident as you go forward. See, if you have a clear vision, then, then the rest of your decisions get made. See, when you know where you're going, you can know where you're not going, and so then you can pursue what is right and best according to that vision. A vision has power. There's, there is clarity in a vision. But if you can't see it and you don't know where you're going, you're, you're liable to end up just about anywhere. And so what we want to do over the next few weeks is we want to be mindful of what is our vision? Where are we going? For us, we, we are able to live hopeful and to be helpful. And we can do that because of the vision that we've been given in Christ. We have been given a responsibility, and that responsibility is very simple, to live as disciples of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. And when we live out His life in us and we dare to share His love with other people, that gives our life meaning. There's power in that. There is purpose in that. And so we need to make sure that we're doing that. And, and what makes that possible is the gospel. I love the, the image of the life preserver because what it does is it, is it gives so many hope because I know some of you today, you're drowning. You're drowning in sin. You're drowning in shame. You're drowning with regret. You're drowning with responsibilities. All of these things are just, some of you today, you're just born. You're just trying to somehow suck up enough air to get through. And I'm telling you, Jesus will save you. There is power in the name of Jesus. He is the life preserver. If you will grab on to Him, He will give you hope. He will give you meaning. The, the central theme of Scripture is the rescue. We know that the Bible is a single story. It's not a collection of stories. It's not just a collection of sayings. It's a single story. Creation, fall, rescue, restoration. We know that the world is not as it should be because of the fall, but we know that because we know that we were made for harmony because whenever there's conflict, whenever there's death, whenever there's pain, we always say, this isn't right. The world is not as it should be, and that's true. It's not. And the reason we know that is because we know God created all things to be in harmony. But here's what we know. Because of the fall, because of sin, there's now brokenness. 
And thanks be to God, He chose, rather than to abandon us in our sin, to come and rescue us. And rescue is the central theme of the Scripture. It's the central purpose of the coming of Christ. It is He who came to set us free, to break every train, to bring liberation and eternal life for all who will believe. And one day He's going to return. The restoration is coming. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And until that time, we must continue to pursue the vision that the Lord has given us. Now, in our text today, we see Jesus describing events that have happened, that are happening, and that will happen again. And and in light of these events, he tells us, don't be afraid. Don't be overwhelmed. He says, stay the course. And the only way we'll be able to do that is if we have a clear vision of what the course is. Jesus is describing in terrifying terms here things that are going to be. But these are also, please don't misunderstand the text, these are also things that have been. There are also things that are now. And so we need to see the the whole sense of what Jesus is saying with the clear mind of the vision he's given to us that we might rightly divide it and then rightly live the word of God. You got your Bible and I hope that you do. Take it out and turn with me now to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to look at the first 14 verses of this very tough text. And I'm going to ask uh, Miss, Miss Emery Lynn to come. And as she comes, let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And she's going to read for us Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. Are you ready? Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by nations for my, for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And his gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world's testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Very well. Very well done, Emory. If you guys would, go ahead and be seated. Listen, the world is not as it should be. We see this every single day. But those who believe in the gospel, we have the capacity to live hopeful and be helpful no matter what the circumstances are. You take a believer versus a non-believer in the situation of parenting. You take the situation of a mother with, with an unruly preschool child. And, and yes, all of our preschool children are unruly. You're not the only one. And, and you say, well, how does a believer deal with that in a way that a non-believer can't? With faith, with hope, with love, and with peace. Because Jesus is there. How does a person deal with a difficult work situation? Maybe it's because of those they work with. Maybe it's because of a, a tyrannical boss or maybe bad leadership. How does a believer versus a non-believer deal with that circumstance? Radically different because the believer has faith, hope, and love. 
And because of the presence of Jesus, they have peace. How does a believer and a non-believer deal with the issue of death? Um, this weekend, I, I came in contact with situations with your friends who are dealing with death. One is dealing with the death of a non-believer, and the other one is dealing with the death of a believer. How that death is dealt with is radically different, because for the believer, there is faith, hope, and love, and eternal peace. For those who know Jesus, who believe in the gospel, we are able to face every situation and every circumstance differently than those who do not, because we have Jesus, and there is power in the name of Jesus. And this gospel enables us to live in that power. In the gospel, we have a purpose, and also the power to carry it out. When we think about the three circles, one of the things that I I want to, to remind you constantly is this. It doesn't end with the gospel. It begins. Life with God doesn't end with the gospel. It begins with the gospel so that we can pursue and recover God's design. We have the power in the gospel. We have the purpose in the gospel to pursue God's plan for our life. And that is the vision. That is the vision for our life. And so as it pertains to the gospel, we must never be ashamed of the gospel, even though it is offensive. Never be ashamed of the gospel. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 1? We read this earlier. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the first Jew, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. There is power in this gospel. And we need this power. It is an eternal power. And we, we who are made in the image of God, who have been given eternal souls, we need an eternal power that will fuel us for all of eternity. Look what C.S. Lewis says. There are no ordinary people. I want you to think about this. Sitting around you today, there are no ordinary people. The people you're going to be passing on the street in just a bit when you leave, none of them are ordinary. The people in your home, the people in your neighborhood, kids in the classrooms you're going to be sitting in, you're going to see other kids, students, teachers, none of them are ordinary. Those of you who will be at work soon, none of them are ordinary. Why? You, You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours is the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Every single person that we pass is either an immortal horror or an everlasting splendor. Those who are in Christ are in an everlasting splendor because they have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who are separated God from their sin are an immortal horror because the evil that is inside of their heart will be lived out forever and ever. But the gospel can save. The gospel has an eternal power that can save. And we need to understand when we speak of this gospel, we are going to speak of something that will be offensive to other people. Why is it offensive? Well, there's a sign that's up at almost every uh, ball game you ever see in the country, John 3.16. I I wish they would go ahead and put the dash in the verse 18 so that everyone can be clear as to why that's a big deal and why some people are offended. Look what it says in the Word of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. That's good news. That's great. No one's offended by that. Everybody's like, good, this is wonderful. And then, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. What? Yeah. We are born separated from God with a sin nature. We are born condemned. You ever notice you don't have to teach your children how to lie? They do that naturally. 
You don't have to teach your children to throw a fit. That comes with their sin nature. It's part of the deal. It's free. Thank God. Actually, don't thank God. Thank man. God's plan was better. We are condemned already because we're born with a sin nature. And this, this condemnation is rightly deserved. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There is only one name. And it's the name of Jesus by which we can be saved. It is Jesus who gives gospel the power. The gospel has power because it is the name of Jesus by which we are saved. Now, there are going to be many who are going to be offended by this. First, to be told that they're already condemned and that they actually need something outside of themselves to be saved. God loves us all. He's died for this world, but only those who believe, only those who are saved by grace and faith in Christ alone, trusting completely in Jesus, only they, only they are rescued from condemnation. Everyone else lives and dies in this condemnation, and it is our responsibility to help them to understand the grace of God so that they can repent and believe. So that they can, so that they can anchor their life in hope in Jesus. And for those of us who do, there's there's an enablement. There's there's something that we can do as believers that others can't do. And so, if we want to live hopeful and be helpful, the best thing we can do to be helpful is to make disciples of other people, so that they can have this hope, so that they can live hopeful, so that they can be helpful. In our text, what we see here are four things that the gospel enables us to do as we seek to live out this vision of making disciples. The first one is this. The gospel enables us to embrace uncertainties. To embrace uncertainties. The disciples that Jesus was talking to that day were about to face some very serious uncertainties that were going to absolutely rock their worlds. First of all, Jesus was about to die. That was going to rock their world. Then Jesus was going to be raised, which was going to more than rock their world. It was going to change their world. But then, in the midst of this revolution, something horrific was going to happen. The temple was going to be destroyed. And then these guys were going to be sent to the ends of the earth and to die for the sake of the gospel. And so, in the, in the light of this, they're, they're, they're terrified. See, these disciples were like the Jews of their day. And the Jews of their day, they were, they were anticipating the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, that he was going to come and he was going to reign in Jerusalem and that there would be peace for the people of God and that they would reign and that the temple would be central to it. And so as they were walking and they point out to Jesus the beautiful architecture of the temple, they were shocked to hear Jesus say, uh, yeah, boys, um, don't, uh, don't be too uh, impressed with that. That sucker's going down. As a matter of fact, there's not going to be one stone left. That thing's going down. And so rightly scared, they say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the time of your coming and of the, of the end of the age? And they had faith in his coming that he was the conquering king. They had faith that the end of the age was coming. But they were, they were a little overwhelmed. As we live in the United States, we are seeing a, a, a nation that is at a, at a changing point. And there are many who are telling us that the nation will, will probably implode upon itself. And friends, I want to tell you, we need not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of who is elected president. Do not be afraid of what the Supreme Court decides. Do not be afraid. 
You say, why? Well, I read this in Tim Keller's devotion this week. This is because he, God, is all-powerful. Nothing is out of his control. Because he is perfectly righteous, everything will eventually work together for good. Why should we never be afraid? Because our God is sovereign and he loves us. No one's excited about that. I don't understand you people. Our God is sovereign. Do you believe that? Is that true? Is this a true statement? Amen. Is this true? Yes. God is sovereign. So, if this is true or false, is God sovereign? Does he love us? If that ever changes, then we have reason to be afraid. That has not changed for all of eternity. It will not change. Our God is in control, and he's working all things for good. And he does that for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And so long as we know that we are loved, we can go through any circumstance. We can face anything. And I know that there are some who would say, but I love my country, and I love my countrymen. And I would say to you, good, love them enough to lead them to anchor their life and hope in Jesus so they can be saved. If, if we want to see, if you want the best thing that could happen to this nation and to this world, a third great awakening. Friends, please spend more time praying for a third great awakening than you do this election. Spend more time praying for a revival to come through this land and then through this world than you do anything else. Because that's what it's going to take. That's what we need. But if it doesn't come, then we will trust the Lord. And we will know that, that these uncertainties, we will embrace them without fear because our God is in control. And I mean that not only in a general sense, friends, embrace the uncertainties of the sickness that you're going to get this year. Embrace that in the uncertainties of, of your economic future, of your marriage, of the life of your children. Embrace the, all the uncertainties that, that, face, that you face and fear not because your God is with you. It is only those who believe in the name of Jesus that have this hope. And it is in the power of the gospel that we're enabled to do the second thing. The gospel enables us to engage brokenness. Our, our world is, is filled with misdirected people. Yes, we all have, yes, we're all fallen, yes, and, and yes, there's evil, but please understand, most people are just misdirected. Most people really do want peace on earth. Most people really do, don't want to hurt other peace-loving people. See, here's the problem. Most people are living without the gospel. And without the gospel, they will be misdirected and they will pursue sin and they will create more brokenness. Jesus explained the brokenness here that is caused by sin. Please understand, wherever there is sin, there is brokenness. And in that brokenness, there will be heresies and heretics. Look what he says in verse 4. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So there are going to be institutions and individuals who will tell us, I can fix this. I can fix this world. I can fix this country. I can make this right over the next three months. How many promises do you think that we are going to hear from the lips of politicians who do not have the power to fix what it is we are facing? Please understand that. There is only one Messiah, Jesus Christ. And there are going to be many who are going to come and say, no, no, I can fix this. I'm the anointed one. I'm the one. Please understand, government, government can't do it. Please, please, just remember, 
A government that has the power to give the masses what they claim to want has the power to take everything from individuals. Don't forget that. We have, we have the government claiming Messiah. We have entertainment claiming to be Messiah. Just remember, on this fallen rock, fun always comes to an end. If you're relying on fun and pleasure and excitement to heal what's broken in you, buying something, experiencing something, owning something, seeing something, doing something, friends, you have no hope because it won't last. It's not government. It's not entertainment. And friends, it's not, in, it's not education and economics. Listen, just remember, information can't satisfy us and money can't buy happiness. All of these are messiahs that are lying. They are heresies and heretics. Jesus said they would come. Do not trust in them. There is only one who can say, Jesus Christ. There are, in this broken world, caused by sin, wars and threats of wars. Look what it says in verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Please get that part in the middle of verse 6. Maybe underline that. See that you are not alarmed. Why? Because God is sovereign and He loves you. Are there going to be wars? Yes. Are there going to be threats of war? Yes. Rumors? Yes. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There has been and there will continue to be wars and rumors of wars. That's the way it's been and that's the way it's going to be now and that's the way it's going to be in the future until Jesus Christ comes and vanquishes all evil and brings a new heaven and a new earth. Until that time, we must keep the vision. We must know why we're here. What is our purpose? To make disciples. We are here to be a part of the rescue operation of God. No matter what happens, don't be alarmed. Stay the course. Sin is also broad and will bring famine and disasters. Look what it says in verse 7. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. All famines and disasters are the result of sin. Romans 8, 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the, are the, have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are waiting for Jesus to come back. And so is the creation. Every natural disaster, every famine, every disease is a reminder that this world is not as it should be. We are waiting the one true Savior who will heal all things and make all things new. Until that time, He will heal our souls. He will give us hope in life so that we can live through any circumstance. We can, we can embrace. We can just deal with the uncertainties. And, and we can engage the brokenness of our world. And no sooner that we agree to do that, we understand that, that this broken world will attack us. Please understand, this world is under the dominion of the evil one. And it has, it has one really good play. And here's this play. Get the image bearers of God, humanity, to believe that what is wrong is right. Get them to believe what is evil is good. That's what he did in the garden what he didn't need. He said, oh, you can't trust God. He's just trying to keep you from being like him. Lie, making what is good seem wrong. 
What is happening in our culture today? Sexual sin, all kinds of, of, of sin is being said to be right. And those who claim it is wrong, we are evil. Understand, we will be persecuted. That as we proclaim the gospel, not our moral, ethical perspective, the gospel. That is worthy of being persecuted for. Not our name calling, not our pointing of fingers, not our moral standard, but the gospel. When we proclaim the gospel, we will be persecuted, and rightly so. Understand, though, write it down, the gospel enables us to endure persecution. Listen, guys, as we seek to live in the power of the gospel, the power of this world will stand against Jesus and everyone who stands with him. And what they did to Jesus is what they'll do to us. Because they're mean and awful and more terrible than us? No, because they're misdirected, because they don't have the gospel. And because their minds have been deceived. So what will they do? They will turn us over like prisoners to tribulation and death. Verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And they will hate us because we love Jesus. And then some will do what Judas did. Many who claim to be Christians today, and many who have claimed to be Christians in the past, will fall away, and they will turn away from God, and they will hate us. They will fall away, and they will betray and hate us. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And then in the midst of that, many will do what the religious leaders of Jesus did in his day. And what did they do? They were false prophets, and they began to lead many astray. And their lawlessness will increase, and their, their love will die. It says in verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and, and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And that's what's happening. As we see leaders break laws and not be held accountable, as we see leaders rising up who have no moral integrity, love will grow cold. It is growing cold. It will grow cold. But do not be afraid. Do not fear. Your God is sovereign and He loves you. Stay the course. Stay the vision. Know what He's doing. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. How will we be saved? By the love of God. What we have in us enables us to endure persecution. We have something that lasts forever no matter the circumstances. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest is love. Love is eternal. Love lasts forever. The love of God that is given us in Christ Jesus is more powerful than anything on this planet. And it redeems us. And it empowers us to to deal with persecution. Love covers sin. I can't wait to preach this next year, but I give it to you today. First Peter 4, beginning in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. When people revile you, when people mock you for the gospel, love them. And that love will overcome that sin. Love them. Love them. Do not, do not let yourself be transformed or tricked into hating anyone. Don't you do it. 
you stay the course of the vision and love. And the more they hate, the more you love. The more intimidating they get, the more you love. Because you have the power of the gospel. And let the gospel have, it, have its full effect in you so that you can remain, so that you can endure, so that you will be saved. And as you do that, you will inspire, you will empower others to have hope. Write it down. The gospel enables us to empower hope. And this gospel, the kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Right now, we got to get the word out about Jesus. Right now, we, we got to lead other people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus. Remember, what's the last thing Jesus told us to do? He says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching to observe all things. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. What is the vision? What is the cause? What are we to do? We are to join God in his rescue of people he loves. We must tell them. You say, but they don't want to hear it. It's offensive. I know. And the way they treated Jesus may be the way they treat us. But we will love them anyway. Here's my challenge. Take this challenge. Please take this challenge. The first challenge is this to you. Trust God and fear none but God. Trust God. Do not let a person or a government or a circumstance in any way make you fear. When, when you face trials and crosses and thorns, ask this question, God, what do you want to do with this? I know you've got a plan. Look to his hand. Look to his gracious hand. Not your circumstance. Look to the hand of God by faith. I challenge you to do that. And you will not worry. You will not be anxious about anything. You will then with confidence approach the throne of grace and you will pray. I want to challenge you to do that today. Trust God with your life. Some of you have been holding back a portion of your life. That is the part you, that, that gives you anxiety. If you are anxious about any part of your life today, here's what you can know. You think you're in control of it. If you will turn that over to the hand of God, you will not fear. You will not be anxious. You will say, I wonder what God is going to do with this. I trust Him. He is sovereign and He loves me. That is enough. And in Christ we have everything. If you have the world and you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. If you have no worldly thing and you have Jesus, you have everything. Do you believe that? If you don't, come get on your knees and say, Lord, help me. If you have anxiety of any kind today, come get on your knees and turn it over to Jesus. If you are anxious about your life, give your life to Jesus. He will forgive you of all your sin, and he will take control of you. Give it to him. Only he has the power to manage it properly. Give it to him. And if you're facing something, ask him. Ask him to take away the fear and let him know, I trust you with this. He has everything. Trust him. Let's stand together. Let's pray. We have just a moment, Lord God, and I know that there are some who need to pray to you right now. They need to come and say, Lord, you're my everything. And, and you have the power and you have the love to handle whatever it is I am about to face. Lord Jesus, would you right now give peace as people come and pray? 
Some have just, have just right there where they are, just pray. Lord God, you know the need of every life. Would you right now move as we sing, as we make this statement of faith about you and about who you are and what, what you bring. Lord God, bring right now healing and hope. I ask you to do this in the name of Jesus as people come to pray to you. In Jesus' name, amen.